Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today on JOSPT Insights, we're talking about how to best support the youth athletes we work with, our brightest future, to have a satisfying and healthy life in sport. Dr. Jackie Whitaker, physiotherapist and assistant professor from the Department of Physical Therapy at University of British Columbia, has a ton of clinical and research experience in youth sport, preventing knee injuries, and the osteoarthritis sequelae that are unfortunately an all too frequent companion of people who have had sports-related knee injuries. I started by asking Jackie to share her experience in the clinic as a physical therapist and how she found herself thinking about a research career. I've always worked in musculoskeletal. I was treating a lot of people, I would say sort of mid-age people that had often very active backgrounds and that were presenting over and over again with sort of musculoskeletal complaints that that were really interfering with just the quality of their life. And I think I got to a point in my career where I just kept saying to myself, oh, I wish I'd met this person 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because there's things that I could have done or said at that time that would have hopefully changed them being in the situation that they're in right now. Can you um, give us a sense of sort of how this has led to your research career? Because, you know, we've we've talked a fair bit over a little while now and um, I've, I've got a sense that your clinical experience really drove some of the decisions you've made in your research career. I got to the point in my clinical career where I felt like I was almost saying the same things over and over and, and having to un- help people unlearn belief systems. And it got to the point where it felt like, okay, if I'm going to just do this one patient at a time, I'm never going to make a big difference. The clinical experience really was what gave me the passion that led to me going to do my PhD. And it was really about, you know, how do we prevent these things from getting as bad as they are and impacting people's people's lives as much. And I think at the time, I really believed that I needed to go do research to be able to do that at a larger level. I still am very close to my clinical practice and into clinicians and find that, you know, the questions and the struggles and the challenges that they have are really the things that are driving a lot of the research that I'm doing. And we're going to come back to some of your specifics of your research um, in a a little bit. But what I'd first like to do is to get a sense from you of what's the biggest challenge that folks have when they first get this injury. So let's maybe focus on the the folks with the sports-related knee injuries. What's their biggest challenge? One of the biggest challenges is actually finding out what preconceptions or what knowledge patients come to me with. Every person already comes with a bunch of belief systems, expectations, knowledge. And in all honesty, if I don't tailor my intervention or my approach to them without knowing that, I can completely blow the relationship with I, ha- I have with them and or their parents very quickly. They're wanting to come in and they're wanting to go, well, what exercises do I need to do? What do I need to be doing right now? But you actually just want to kind of talk and find out some things about them, figure out what their goals are and where they're going. And so I think it's a balance. You've got to, you've got to do some of the physical things that they're expecting from a physio, but you have to have those conversations while you're doing it to really get a sense of the person that you're dealing with and their environment and their context. And what are the kinds of questions that you would ask? So if I'm a beginning clinician and I haven't seen as many patients, what are some concrete questions that I can kind of tap into some of these challenges? 
Sure. So I think let's look, I'm going to, I'm just going to pick a particular type of injury. So let's say we've got somebody who's 15 or 16 that's torn their anterior cruciate ligament. Um, you know, a lot of times I will ask them, you know, what does that mean to you? So a lot of times if they've been playing sport, they'll have had a teammate or somebody that they see as a role model that's had this injury because it's a fairly common injury depending on, you know, the sport they're playing. But they'll often have a lot of ideas of what an anterior cruciate ligament is what it does, what it's important for, whether or not they need surgery. They'll have all these beliefs that they have gathered from just being in the social environment that they've been in around their sport. And I think it's really important because you, you've got to, you don't want to validate or invalidate their belief systems because that's one way to kind of blow the relationship with them right off the top. And if you don't know, so some of it is just asking them, you know, what do you know about this type of injury? And, and do you know anyone else who's had it before? And how were they treated or what was their process? You know, with an ACL, you might also ask questions about, well, if you know somebody who's had an injury, do you know when they returned to their sport or did they return to their sport? Or do you know if they've had troubles returning to their sport or the types of things that were involved in them figuring out when they should return to their sport? Because often by just asking those open-ended questions, they'll just kind of, you know, blurt everything out that they sort of know. And that often then gives you a really nice segue sometimes to just throw in a little bit of information to maybe help get them to understand that, their beliefs may be somewhat accurate, but maybe not completely accurate. Um, identify role models that maybe you know have had an injury that maybe didn't have their ACL reconstructed or did have their ACL reconstructed, and just getting them to understand that there's there's different ways to approach that injury. Let's pick up on the return to sports stuff because that's a challenge, I think, for lots of people. We've got an athlete who might have had one injury and there's a, a return to play conversation that might happen. When you're working with young athletes, often you you see that athlete again. It's, it's, yep. they, they will have multiple inju injuries. So can you talk us through how you might approach these return to play conversations, say with the athlete who's had a single intra-articular injury and then how you might change or whether you would change that information for someone who's had multiple injuries? For me, return to sport really starts the very first time you meet somebody, particularly if that's what they're saying their goal is. So if in that initial conversation, it's pretty clear to me that that for them, success is going to be defined as returning to, to their sport at the same level, then I think, you know, basically that whole process of what the expectations are for that needs to start very early. And it's not that I'm going to sit there and ramble off everything on the first visit, but I think over the first few visits, you want to kind of lay the framework for that there's not necessarily a set timeline. There, you know, generally things kind of happen in this timeline, but we're not going to decide just because the nine-month mark is hit or the one-year mark is hit that you're ready to go back, that there's going to be certain requirements that you need to have with respect to strength and symmetry between your legs, your ability to perform some of the more specific movements that are required for your sport um, at a similar level. And I also will probably introduce the concept of a graduated return to sport. You know, we talk about graduated return to sport or activity for concussion. And I think that's, you know, there's been a lot of work done to try to understand what that graduated approach is for concussion. I'm not sure we've always done that as well for, say, other types of injuries. Another big part of that message to that maybe one injury only person, but it'll get reinforced with the multi-injured person as well and maybe even more so, is that return to sport isn't determined just by your physical capacity of your body and that your ability to return to sport is going to depend on your mindset, challenges that you're having with certain movements or concerns that you have, 
um, those sorts of things. And I'll often use that as an opportunity to say, you know, a lot of times people year out have a lot of, you know, they'll, they'll look back and go, oh, why didn't you share that information with me sooner? Because if I'd known that, I wouldn't have been kind of setting myself up to, to feel like I wasn't, wasn't succeeding. So that whole concept of return to sport isn't just about physical capacity. So there's two really important points there. I think the one is the starting the return to play planning from the really the beginning when that injury is diagnosed. And the second would be the concept of it not only being a physical issue. And I think the concept of it's more criteria based than obviously timeline based. Um, Though, I mean, I think we can give people general uh, timelines and patients will be asking for that or parents will be asking for that. So I think we have to do it, but I think the key is not to lock ourselves into a timeline and just see how things go. Um, And often just sometimes what we'll do is we'll plan, okay, you know, at this point, six months down the road, we're going to reevaluate things. We're going to see where you are and then we'll decide what the next step is. So how does it change when you have somebody that has multiple injuries? So I think back, particularly one of the patients, uh, she was a, a participant in one of our studies and then became sort of a, um, a, a patient advisor on a couple grants that we wrote. And she was a university level soccer player. And over a four year period, she had four, well, four ACL tears slash revisions all on the same knee. And what she said to me, which was really interesting, was it wasn't until the force of the third revision that her orthopedic surgeon actually said to her, do you think returning to sport is a good idea? And this was somebody that was very much on the verge of making a national team. And, you know, this was a huge part of who she was. But what she says retrospectively looking back is that she can't believe, and it was the same surgeon all four times, that it took that third revision before he actually felt comfortable enough to have that conversation with her. You can kind of plant seeds and then you can see, they'll often come to it, you know, they'll go, "Ah, you know, I'm not sure if if, if I should return or what are your thoughts about me returning to sport? And and I don't think you say, oh, you absolutely should or, oh, you absolutely shouldn't. I think you you turn it around to them and say, well, what are your concerns or or what are you thinking? Um, You know, is it realistic? It may be. Um, understanding maybe what some of those longer term consequences are, because often I think after it's happened a few more times, people are a little more open to what might be the long term consequences. I think you have to be realistic because chances are the more times you have the injury, the more times you're going to be injured, your performance is going to go down. So sometimes that's actually the way the conversation will go is, well, how do you, you know, do you think you're ever going to get back to that performance level that was the thing that was really making you passionate about the sport? Or do you think you're actually just going to become more and more frustrated and, 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 and potentially depressed about not being able to compete at that same level? And then opening the conversation about, well, what are the options, you know? I think we can all think of, I know I can think of several Canadian athletes that really had to leave one elite sport at an Olympic level and ended up competing at the next Olympics, whether it be summer or winter, in a completely different sport. And their personality just drove them to find that other sport that allowed them to excel. And really, I think what we're talking about here is this concept of shared decision making. Um, And part of shared decision making is typically bringing in interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary Mm -hmm. collaboration. How do you approach this idea of interdisciplinary or, or the multidisciplinary team? Absolutely, 100%. I think it's critical because not everybody's going to respond to everybody's personality the same. And so sometimes messages I can't get across, somebody else in the team can get across. Uh, Sometimes it gets across by somebody's experience. So 
you know, I'm a big believer that experience is the best teacher. And, and I might say to a patient, look, you know, this might be a challenge, but they, they're just not seeing that it might be. And then you can almost go to your strength and conditioning people and say, hey, can you put them in a situation where it's not that you want to set them up for failure, but so that they can see that actually this is going on and therefore they come to the conclusion themselves and then they're more open to being able to engage. Communication there is yeah. going to be vital, yeah. both communication with the athlete, but also with the other members of the team. Yeah. And then I think that extends beyond beyond as well, obviously to their support system, whether that be their parents, um, family members, coaches, and then any organization that exists around if they're playing sport, that sport team. But I think we could do a much better job in supporting some of these individuals as they go through that graduated return. And actually even from day one from their injury, I think there's a lot of things that we could be doing better to engage their social network that's tied to that sport and is there one person or profession within the team that should be driving that or is that something that we need to discuss as an, as an interdisciplinary team? How do we kind of support these athletes better? It's a good question because I think it probably depends on the level of the sport, right? So we could literally be talking about somebody whose father or mother is their coach or somebody else's father or mother is a coach. And so obviously the resources available there are very different versus somebody who might be at a much more elite level where they've got strength and conditioning, they've got their own team physio, they've got a physician that's tied to the team, they've got a coaching staff. So, I mean, I think in that in that scenario, I think strength and conditioning and, and physio, if they have it, or an athletic therapist, that that's the group you need to be communicating with. But I think you also have to have a very good understanding and, and often it can come through their medical team, but what the expectations of the coach are, what around return to sport and those sorts of things. Um, you know, a lot of coaches, particularly at a high level, they don't want to see the athlete till they're really 100% ready to perform, not just return back to the sport. And that can seem very harsh to us sometimes. And I think it can seem very harsh to the patient. But I think the sooner we know that, the better, because everyone can be set up for that. And we can talk about the various steps we're going to take to get them to that point. What happens when it goes wrong? How do you, how do you deal with that? And how do you support athletes when this is not going according to the plan that you've set up? from the beginning? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I, I think the number one answer is communication. So I think you have to develop this relationship where you do co-develop and co-manage the recovery so that they're very comfortable coming to you. I, I think that they often get an inkling that things aren't going well before we do, but they're often scared to maybe share it because the athlete, the athlete gets, yeah, yeah. They, they've got an inkling things maybe just aren't progressing or they're struggling with something but they're they're sometimes scared to tell you about it because they're worried that that's going to make it back up the chain and so I think the key is you have to create this very safe environment where they're comfortable talking to you so it's about trust it's hugely about trust yeah and then again I mean that's why I kind of really like to approach things as a next what's the next thing we need to do? And when we get there, then yeah, what's the next thing? And for sure we can have an overall context, but I think if we sometimes make the goal, the end goal, and it's always gonna be there, then people can get derailed really fast because they don't see that they're making progress as fast. Whereas if you have a shorter interim goal, then perhaps they won't feel as they're being derailed as much. But inevitably there will be patients that for whatever reason, things just don't go as planned. And then, you know, I think what you've really got to do with that person in the trusting environment you created is talk about alternatives. Quite often what I will do with these guys when they're young and I see them within the first couple of visits is say, okay, so here's a scenario. Let's say nine, 10 months from now, it's clear you're not going to be able to return to soccer. Can you give me right now two or three other things 
that would be an indicator of success for you, knowing that it would be devastating that you couldn't return to soccer, but is there another sport, another type of sport? Is there something else in your life that's really important to you that you wanna be able to do? And you kind of just get those things in the chart so that you can revisit them at the time when they're really feeling, you know, down because things aren't progressing as the way they want and, and getting them to see that there is a better, bigger piece. And is that a one-off conversation? Are they usually able to answer that question in that session or do you let them take it home as homework? So I think it's interesting. I think it's very individual. I think some kids right away or some um, young adults right away, they know what that would be. You know, they know what their other priorities in life are. Maybe it's continuing at university. Maybe it's a family thing. Or maybe it's another sport that they do They do off-season that they really enjoy or or a recreational activity. They love to mountain bike or something. And so if, if, you know, if they couldn't return to sport but they could go back and mountain bike, they would be happy with that. And sometimes it does take people a little while to reflect because a lot of times, you know, if their entire identity is about one sport, I think it can be really difficult for them. But I think it's important to plant the seed early because we do, we know that a certain percentage of them are not going to return to sport or that sport that they want. And I think we need to have that. They need to know that that's a possibility. I think it's not fair for us to say to them, oh, absolutely, we're going to have you back at 100%, you know, in one year. Let's jump to one of your great research passions, injury prevention. Mm -hmm. The International Olympic Committee Mm -hmm. published the consensus statement on management of ACL injuries in kids, Mm -hmm. and it was actually management, diagnosis and prevention. Can you share with us some of your top tips and maybe you'd share your favourite ACL injury prevention program? So number one, I would say that my favorite program is probably a hybrid program. So it's probably not this, you know, the 11 plus or something you might get on the Get Set app or something like that. I probably draw from things and and that's probably because I'm looking at it from the individual athlete. With that being said, you know, I I think there's a lot of options around getting some kind of a warm up that's an appropriate warm up and then talking to people about movement patterns that are particular to their sport and where those non-contact type ACL injuries might occur and what you could do to maybe help individuals move a little more efficiently and in a way that might be less provocative for them to hurt their knee. But I do think that the 11 plus has obviously been shown to be very effective and it can be, I think, adapted to various sports. And so that's probably, you know, if I've got a parent coming to me saying I'm coaching, what should I do? I'll often send them there or to the Get Set app because I think that there's some good choices for multiple sports on there as well. So there's some great resources. The um, 11 plus is online. You can Google 11 plus and the kids version of the 11 plus is there as well. And then the Get Set Get Set app, which is a free app um, developed by the International Olympic Committee as well. Um, Some great resources for clinicians and parents and coaches. We have a lot of fallacies when it comes to injuries and how to prevent injuries. And, you know, so I think some of it is if for maybe coaches or parents is to kind of inform themselves well before they start making some of those decisions. And then I think the other piece that maybe we don't always capture with injury prevention programs. So 11 plus will talk a bit about, you know, ethical play and following rules and those sorts of things. And it's not just about following the rules, but it's about looking after yourself and looking after others. If you're in a car going 100 kilometers an hour down a highway, you know, you're not being aggressive to other cars, hopefully on the road, because you're trying to protect yourself and the other athletes. And I think that that's something we need to embed in sport. And then I think the other piece is the bit around training load. Number one, there's no off seasons. If they exist, generally kids are in training camps trying to improve their skills maybe they get the odd week here and there, or they'll take two or three weeks off, but then they literally start back at the same pace that they left off of. And we know that their, that their capacity to deal with that, you know, that elevated training load has decreased. 
I think often just informing athletes, parents, coaches that you have to build this up. You can't go from off season to on season. And often coaches, you know, the first time they see the athletes is at tryouts and they expect those kids to be at 100%. But if they were lying on the couch playing video games two weeks ago because it was summer or, you know, at the lake, I don't know, water skiing or something, and now all of a sudden they're expected to perform at a high level, it's not particularly shocking that, that they get injuries. One of the big debates in youth sport has been around early specialisation and there's fierce debates on both sides. You know, kids have got to start specialising really young because that's how you develop talent and that's how you're going to succeed at the highest level. And then there's the other side where it's, it's much more about, no, let them go and play. Where do you sit on that? And would you share some of your thoughts on, on specialisation? Sure. So I'm, I have a fairly strong opinion about it. I think there's arguments on both sides, but I think when you look to the evidence, there really is no argument. The long and short of it is that athletes that start to specialize before they reach puberty are more likely to drop out of sport. They're less likely to meet their sport performance goals. They're more likely to have inappropriate social behaviors. They're more likely to be depressed. If you look at, there's a couple of studies that have been published with either professional NFL players or NCAA players. And the majority of those athletes will say that they played more than one sport competitively in high school and that they didn't specialize probably until after puberty. And they're, you know, by the largest proportion, those that are playing at elite levels. So I don't think there really is an argument that early specialization leads to better athletes. I actually think it leads to a lot of very dysfunctional things. And I think there's a lot of a lot of problems with it. There is definitely some good evidence out there to suggest that kids that diverse that, that have a more diverse, I guess, exposure to sport when they haven't hit puberty are more likely to be successful in teams. They're better, better socialized. They have better self-esteem. They tend to be more physically active for greater lengths of time in their life. And the other thing that's really interesting is that they just become less dependent on others. Kids that specialize early are more likely to get injured and to leave sport because of an injury. And I think that leads us really nicely into um, some of your current research, which has been looking more at quality of life and looking at what happens and how do we keep these people active after they've had an injury? What happens once they've, once they've had these first or maybe second serious injuries? In my clinical practice, I met a lot of people in their 30s and 40s that had really become physically inactive, that had gained weight and they weren't happy about it. And, and they, you could tell that they, they really lacked self-confidence because they used to really identify as an athlete, but they had just gotten so frustrated with the flare-ups and all the problems that they'd have that they literally had given up. And then they would come to see me because they'd, I want to get my knee sorted out now so that I can go back to doing something. But every time they'd try to go back, they would get frustrated. I think, okay, yep, I can work with those people at that point in time. And absolutely, I think it's important and we need to do that. But I think, gosh, could we prevent that? And for sure, when we have a young person who's playing at a high level and they hurt their knee, they're going to want to return to sport. That's their primary outcome. But I just think that everybody surrounding them, their healthcare team, the people in their, that are coaching them, that, that are supporting them from a sport perspective, their parents, we really need to have our eye on the fact that the long-term goal is good musculoskeletal health so they can be physically active for the rest of their lives. So most of the research that I'm currently involved in is figuring out ways to either identify kids or, or young adults who've had a knee injury that are the most at risk of going on to develop post-traumatic osteoarthritis, and then 
knowing who's maybe at, at greatest risk, what we can do to, to prevent or delay that onset. You know, the majority of the, of the chronic or sort of non-communicable diseases that we suffer from as a human race can be solved with exercise. But the reality of it is that if your musculoskeletal system is letting you down, you're not going to have a chance to exercise. You're not going to be very successful at it. And so we can talk about trying to encourage people to be more and more active in our population. But if we're not supporting them and maintaining musculoskeletal health, I don't know how successful we're going to be. If you had a wealthy benefactor who was going to give you a couple of million Canadian mm-hmm. to do whatever research or put in place whatever program you wanted to, what would be the first thing that you would tackle, Jackie? So I think I would probably try to do some sort of an intervention study. Probably those interventions would include some stuff around education, something around exercise, something around this, I guess I would call this therapeutic philosophy of working with the athlete and understanding you know, what their needs are, providing them with accurate information without over-medicalizing their situation, and then addressing what their individual needs are around exercise, but also movement patterns and, and fear of movement. Most people that I've met that have had an injury to their knee have some movement that they're fearful of or some movement that they avoid because they know it's going to lead to problems. They might not call it fear. And you've got to work with them to help them figure out what the solution for that movement is. And if you don't, you're actually just setting them up for failure. Jackie, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you share your passion for research, your passion for clinical practice and how you've um, merged both of these things. Thank you so much for coming on. It was great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.